Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new sci-fi film, uh, Annihilation. I was going to say Alex Garland's Annihilation, but Alex Garland directed Annihilation. And you know what? I, this, this really went off the rails just right at the beginning here. <laughs> Should we restart it? I guess. No. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Uh, okay. And we'll be talking about last year's Best Picture winner, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. But first... The news, Andy, you sent these over to me and I appreciate it. The first thing from very early this week, actually the day after we recorded the show last week, Cinemark to ban big bags starting this week. There's a story out of San Antonio. Sad news for those who love to sneak in lots of snacks into movie theaters starting Thursday, February 22nd. So this already started. This is the thing now. If you're hearing the show, sorry. Cinemark will no longer allow large bags in its establishments. Bags or packages larger than 12 by 12 by 6 foot by foot by half a foot won't be allowed inside cinemarks anymore andy what do you think about this (laughs) that's like a lunchbox size (laughs) that's pretty that's pretty small that's like standard size yeah i mean i don't i never buy concessions or i rarely buy concessions so it's definitely gonna not gonna affect my film going experience but even i mean i feel like most people aren't aren't sneaking that much in i mean i feel like maybe a drink and a snack or two that you can fit in your pocket. I mean, who's bringing in something larger than a 12 by 12? I mean, are right. you, are you, do you have like takeout in there or a pizza? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. You see, this is tough for me because my significant other, Christine, is a big bag fan. She likes big bags. I don't know. She likes having the ability to carry lots of things. There's nothing wrong with that, especially considering she's a woman and a lot of times they don't have pockets, which is for a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but this will be challenging. Yeah, you got to leave that at home. You can't bring that in. Um, and it's... Only kind of for sneaking in food, because we do that. We're, we're those people. Um, but it's it's not that big of a deal, I guess. I'm also not above buying a package of milk duds. You know, like, I'm, I'm fine with it. Uh, personally, I'm a, yeah, I'm a sneaking food guy. I like sneaking in a bag of almonds. Right now, I'm into pumpkin seeds. Those are great. <laughs> uh, and usually, my go-to for that is either I, I, I slip them in a baggie. Like, I'll go home and... and piecemeal them out and i'll either put them in my back pocket or if i'm going for bonus points i go real stealth i'll put them in my sock <laughs> <laughs> so security really doesn't find out, him nobody stops me and this is what's weird about this when i was in high school and i worked at amc amc's official policy this is back in i don't want to date myself they said we, we can tell you not to bring in food but we can't stop you we can basically just say hey you're not supposed to bring food in but this time it's cool don't do it again now, theaters are, you can't do it. We, we won't let you in. And Cinemark has gone to the point to say, if you just have a bag that's a certain size, you can't come in. Here's what gets me about this story. I've heard people say this is a matter of security. Well, it's for safety. You don't know what people are sneaking into theaters. Somebody could have anything. There could be a weapon in there. No, no, no. This is for concessions. It's <laughs> yes, for concessions. If you think these theaters care about your safety more than their bottom line, you are wrong, sir. <laughs> it's about concessions. They don't want people sneaking in food. That's my theory. What how, do you think? How are they going to enforce it? Like that? Are, are you going to have like TSA style lines at the doors checking your bags? You got to take off well, your shoes? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's the funny thing. It says the company added that it deserves the right... To inspect all bags and packages entering the theaters. What do you have, like, one of those wooden sticks that you poke around somebody's bag, like, when you get into the state fair? Who are you kidding? You're not going to stop people and do that. All that's going to do is slow up the line. Like, nobody wants that. So I guess what you would say is have the manager come out and be like, excuse me, ma'am or sir, uh, you can't have that bag here. We don't allow bags of that size. But all that's going to do is spur an awkward conversation. How's that going to go for somebody that doesn't know? They're going to be like, what, are you serious? Are you joking, right? Why would you care about what size my bag is? Like, I thought it's, this it's, was America. I thought this was America. It just seems a little <laughs> exactly. short-sighted. Um, also, but that, that's just me. There, there's also the issue of, you know, theaters are trying to get people in seats. And they need to not do things to deter people from wanting to go to the theater. And if you right. put up some security, it's going to double your the amount of time it takes to get in, possibly make you late. It's only going to hurt attendance. Right. It's only going to encourage people to go to an AMC. So great for Cinemark, I guess. Um, way, way, to, way to stay second best, guys. Moving on. Uh, this one you're going to have to help me with. I, I think You said you know some of the jargon on this one. I don't. So I'm just going to read the headline and then take it away, Andy. Okay. Disney misused Star Wars frozen copyrights. What, what, what is this? What is this story? Okay. So this is based on a lawsuit that Disney brought against Redbox um, back in December. 
And what was happening is Redbox, um, ta- it buys the DVD Blu-ray combo packs, and it that's what it puts it in in their machines to resell. Okay. Disney will not sell directly to Redbox, so they just go to the local Walmart, Target, buy the DVD Blu-ray combo packs, put them in their machines, and then resell the they sell sell the codes. And the codes are the issue that Disney has a problem with. They they're claiming this is copyright infringement that they don't have a right to resell. Redbox doesn't have a right to re resell the codes. Well, apparently the judge thought that not only was that completely legal, and apparently anything that says not for resale is BS because it's completely unenforceable, which I didn't know. I, I figured that it was like illegal, um, but uh, apparently that's not the case. So, huh. so the judge is saying, first of all, that A, they can Redbox can do what it wants with its property once it buys it, and B that Disney is actually overreaching its copyright by claiming this because copyright has to do with intellectual property and infringement of that and reselling a code has nothing to do with you know the imagery of mickey mouse or a character something like that so disney has actually lost this injunction to stop Redbox, and they're now being put on the defensive by having their copyright or being accused of copyright misuse i'm i'm torn hearing kind of the details on this story because on the one hand like I think Redbox is stupid. I always thought it was stupid. And that's just because I think I'm the kind of person who, like, when I buy a Blu-ray or a DVD, I like having the box. I like having the art. I like having a little insert. I like having the physical media. Renting it from a Redbox that can arguably have other people take advantage of it and do, like, they can scam it and put in paper things. Whatever. Redbox is dumb. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and I'm torn between my hatred for for Redbox and my love for like the underdog swinging at the big big guys. Like, and that's what this is. This is Disney, you know, throwing their weight around a little bit and it not working. And I love that. Like, good for them. But I I do think I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're both a little wrong. I do think Redbox is wrong in in buying like combo packs and selling those products individually. That sucks. Apparently like, that's, com- that's, that's completely not a way illegal. to run a national business, but apparently <laughs> no. it works. What do you think? Yeah. Well, like I said, apparently that's completely illegal. I thought it was illegal to like resell something like that. And apparently it's not because it's, it's not enforceable at all. Um, so I just thought that that was, that was strange. I, d- I didn't know that. Uh, but also, I, I mean, they can kind of do what they want with, with the codes and with the, you know, with the physical properties, the codes are really the issue. That's really what what Disney's upset about. But you know, they're not renting out their codes that, that you can you can buy them once and then you can have like whatever the streamable movie title is. Right. It's the the codes are even though they say the codes are not for sale or transfer. Apparently, there's no law saying you can't do that. Yeah, exactly. Which is fascinating because I've seen those websites where people sell like Disney codes that's a real thing and um yeah I always just assumed that was that wasn't above board or that was some kind of you know dangerous thing but I guess not I guess it is what it is um I is is there any kind of strategy for Disney here you think is there any way for them to get out of this or, or to, to, to come out on top I mean there's a couple more points I think they're they're trying to argue again um things like things that I don't really understand like uh first sale doctrine and in contract business and other legal jargon. So we'll, it's a continuing thing. This, Like I said, this was first brought back in December, and this has been the first kind of event since that Disney losing this injunction. So we'll see where it goes. One thing's for sure. Um, something I do like about this, and this, again, ties into my hatred for Redbox, I love that a company is now in Disney's crosshairs. Because I want to see what <laughs> oh, Disney no. does to somebody that gets in their way. And, like, Redbox is perfect cannon fodder for them. Like, great. What are they going to do? Hit them with, like, a million lawyers in a lawsuit? I wouldn't put it past Disney to open up a competing service just to see if they can run Redbox out of business. I, I would love something like that. I don't think they'll do it. But I, I, I love the idea of Disney being angry at something and, and, and starting to put the, the power of the House of Mouse <laughs> yeah. behind it uh, to, to see what happens. So, uh, yeah, I, I, we, I'll be following this story. I, I want to see what happens here. Probably nothing. Who am I kidding? It'll probably get tied up in court or something and we'll never hear anything about it. But uh, only time will tell, I guess. The last news story we have this week, Joss Whedon exits Batgirl movie the bat signals being dimmed for now the director has a statement i think we should talk about it before we get to that andy what do you think about this 
Oh gosh, um, this is a real letdown, you know, because of the success of of Wonder Woman. You know, it looked like we were going to get some more female superhero films, and Joss Whedon's—he's the perfect guy to take this on, I think. And he's been working on it. I mean, this was announced about a year ago, and so it's it's really kind of a letdown to see him have to back out of it. Yeah, I the first thing I thought here is exactly kind of where his statement goes. So I'll read that. He said. Batgirl is such an exciting project, and Warner's DC such collaborative and supportive partners that it took me months to realize I really didn't have a story. Uh, I'm grateful to Jeff and Toby, who are two of the uh, producing... DC president and Warner Bros. president, sorry. Jeff and Toby, Jeff Johns and Toby Emmerich, uh, and everyone who was so welcoming when I arrived and so understanding when I... Uh, is there a sexier word for failed? So the way Joss Whedon sees it, I didn't have a story, I failed I think, like many of us, that that's probably just industry jargon for like something else was going on, and and that's not the real truth. But frankly, I kind of thought it was. I, I like I I really did. I I looked at this and thought to myself, oh, well, odds are, he probably had some kind of like wacky, oh, not wacky per se, but Joss Whedon esque adventure story lined up. And DC and Warner Brothers, I figured they looked at it and they were just like, no man, this is too this is too Joss Whedon. <laughs> we're going in a different direction. We're trying to be more serious. Didn't you see Justice League? And he's like, yeah, I, I did actually see some of it. I made it. Um, half of it. I made half of it. Yeah, and it wasn't great. So here's what I'm saying we do. That's what I figured this was. I figured this was just creative differences. And it turns out the internet feels a little differently. Have you heard what, what people are speculating? Uh, so what I've heard is that this is just kind of a sign of the sinking ship that is the DCEU. And that either he, uh, Joss Whedon, wants off this sinking ship or that things are just being shaken up so much at Warner Brothers that that he was axed. So I'm not real sure, but the, the whole I don't have a story thing after six months of working on it seems uh, kind of like BS. Yeah, I, I would agree. You're right. I They, they worked on it for six months. I, I doubt they got to a point where it was like, well, this isn't really working out. But I, I kind of assumed it was almost like an Edgar Wright Marvel situation because he'd worked on Ant-Man for a while and he eventually backed out of the project, which is a shame. That's right. Um, still want to see Edgar Wright's Marvel anything, really, but that's for another show. Um, I figured maybe there was something there, but you're right. This is the guy they turned to to save Justice League. I can't imagine that, you know, he, he they're... They're thinking, well, we can't rest our laurels on him. That'd be absurd. Like, why wouldn't you give Joss Whedon a crack and make him Batgirls? He made the Avengers. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know how to feel about this. The other angle, of course, is people saying that in today's cultural environment, a male filmmaker may have faced greater public scrutiny if he were to do a movie like Batgirl than if a female filmmaker had done it like Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman. I didn't arrive at that conclusion. I, I, maybe I'm just like jaded uh, or cynical. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think that for a second. But may, maybe, maybe DC's a little worried about fan backlash. Like, well, we don't have a woman directing it. People will be upset. But I, I, I don't think that's enough to knock them off a movie. I really don't. I don't think the bean counters in, in Hollywood were like, no, 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 Joss Whedon. Nobody likes him. Nobody will go see a Joss Whedon movie. That just that doesn't hold water for me. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with you. While it would be great to see, uh, you know, it be helmed by a female director, I think he he could also do a very good job. I do think, yeah, this is ample opportunity for them to maybe move in that direction. Like, sure, why not get a female director to do it? That would that would be fantastic. And and I'm sure reading articles like this, the DC, uh, what did I say earlier? Bean counters. Uh, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure they feel that way. I love that I have this like conspiracy theory that Hollywood is just run by a bunch of people staring <laughs> at spreadsheets. Like that's really where all of this is coming <laughs> the from. The accountants. The, ac- <laughs> the accountants did it. That's right. Um, so I don't know. It bums me out, I guess. I'm excited to see what he works on next. Um, he's definitely put on some weight looking at this photo. My God. Uh, it's all that DC stress. It gets to you. Um, I, I, I hope this isn't a DC sinking ship thing because I want DC to succeed. I do. I just realized that they're going to need to right some wrongs before that happens. They're going to need to kind of look at where they've come from and figure out where they're going. Right. Well, part of what I've heard is that moving forward, that they're going to kind of abandon this whole, every film tied together, basically what Marvel has done successfully because DC has done such a bad job at it. They're just kind of going to back away from the dceu and kind of just have standalone or anthology films we've said it before and and we'll say it again like sure imitation is the best form of flattery but like it is not easy to make a a cinematic universe it just isn't like and marvel 
just kind of caught lightning in a bottle with this one, and they've managed to run it for 18 films thus far. And it hasn't always worked, but for the most part, everything kind of sticks together, and DC just can't seem to replicate that. And, I, yeah, I, I would encourage them to try to do something different. Do your own thing before you get too far down this rabbit hole and you end up looking like Universal's Dark Universe. So I mean, that's what, what I've got to say. <laughs> when you think about it, we're actually five years into the DCEU. So we're pretty oh far God. along. Like, I just realized right. that. Because yeah, it started oh, with wow. Man, of, Man of Steel in, in 2013. So we're pretty far into it. And yeah. they really haven't had a whole lot of hits. No. They really have. If it, I, other I, than Wonder Woman, probably. Wonder Woman being the biggest one, yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's frustrating. I'm like, you guys have had movies that have worked. Like, and I, I of course, I'll keep drawing on Christopher Nolan's trilogy, but like, those were Academy Award winning films. Like, you'd think you would try to do something in there instead of just be like, no, that's stupid. We can't, we can't make merchandise off of that. We're gonna do our own thing. Like, it's, yeah, you're missing something here. You really are. And like, I, I. I'm not smart enough to understand what that is, but I hope somebody over there is and they can get get this back on board and hopefully make a cool Batgirl movie. So Yeah, yeah. it'd be it'd be great to see. Yeah, it really I remember I remember when this was announced and you were like, "Man, that could be cool." Like the Batgirl movie. You had to convince me a little bit cuz I was like, "Batgirl, who the hell wants to see that?" <laughs> but you're right. Like, "Hey, well, what do I know?" Like considering where they've come thus far and how cool they made Wonder Woman, who before the Wonder Woman movie, I was a little skeptical. I was like, "I don't know. Like it it could work. It really could. If they, if they did it right, they won't do a super dark story uh like like I think most of us are hoping for, but like what are you <laughs> yeah. going to do?" Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we should move on. Our first movie of the evening and kind of our spotlight. uh, Well, you're going to do the summary. Why don't you go ahead and say it? All right. Annihilation. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. So Annihilation is the new sci-fi film by Alex Garland, who previously did uh, Ex Machina a couple years ago fantastic piece of science fiction uh, which starred uh, Alicia Vikander which is the first time I saw her in a film um, Domino Gleason and Oscar Isaac and uh, that was his first feature film and it was really incredible won an Oscar for best visual effects uh, that year um, anyways the new film stars Natalie Portman as a biologist and former soldier and her husband played by Oscar Isaac is, is also a soldier um, who goes on these very covert, secretive missions that he isn't allowed to talk about with her. He's gone for long periods of time. Um, he arrives home after a, a long mission, and he's not himself. He's very strange and very quickly falls ill. And he's rushed to this like government hospital. Um, he's in a coma. And we learn that he entered a, a place, an area that they call the Shimmer. And the Shimmer is this area outside this coastal town that has kind of this waterfall sparkling uh, iridescent kind of boundary around it and they don't know what it is they don't know how it got there they don't know what it's doing all they know is that it's spreading and getting the area is getting bigger and everything they send in there doesn't come back so drones robots people (laughs) animals uh things go in they don't come out except for oscar isaac's character uh, who's named kane um, and so Natalie Portman decides that she wants to go in there and see what it is, what happened to see if maybe she can help him, see if she can save her husband. So they put together a team of, of five women, uh, which includes, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Tessa Thompson, who was recently in Thor Ragnarok, um, to go in and explore the shimmer and see what it's, what it's all about. And if she can try and save her husband. So that's the setup. Right. I think one of the most intriguing things about this movie for me was the lack of information. Because I hadn't seen a trailer for this in like a month or two, and I knew we were going to talk about it, so I was like, I won't watch anything, I'll just go in fresh and see it. And the more we do this show, and the more movies I see, the more I feel like that's the best way to see movies. And this one is no exception. Like, just like when I finished watching this movie, I remember walking out thinking like, how the hell are we going to talk about this on the show? Because the less you know about it, the better. I think it's just one of those movies. No, agreed. Um, I'd say the same about Ex Machina. In fact, yeah, Alex Garland's two films 
both are that way. Like, don't don't talk to people about it. Try not to watch trailers. Just go check it out. So I, I'll be tiptoeing very lightly around this review <laughs> and trying to, trying to kind of keep things objective to make sure nothing's spoiled. Um, where did you land on it? Um, so I, I really liked it. I thought it was a great piece of sci-fi slash sci-fi horror. I didn't realize it was going to be ha- kind of on the thriller horror side. I thought it was just kind of straightforward sci-fi. But it, it really does that great thing uh, that um, good horror does of creating mood. It reminded me a lot of the original Alien where you just feel unsettled. Like when they're inside the shimmer, it it's completely quiet. Like everything looks like a jungle. It looks like a rainforest, but there's no sound. There's no animal sounds. There's no insects. There's no birds. So it's just, you have this unsettling quiet and it's mixed with, uh, you know, you see different, very jarring, jarring and disturbing imagery and together just creates this unsettling mood that kind of lasts throughout the whole film. So you just feel uncomfortable and that's what good horror does. Right. One of one of Jennifer Jason Lee's first lines in the movie uh, when she is introduced to Natalie Portman's character, Natalie Portman's character at the time isn't feeling particularly well. And Jennifer Jason Lee says to her, you must feel dreadful. And like, that's such an appropriate feeling for this movie, because you you get into this weird mix of sensation because when they kind of travel outside of the world as we understand it and into what is the shimmer, where things are naturally different, hence the shimmer, um, you start to get this kind of just clever blend of a lot of different elements of storytelling and tone and setting. And it's very effective. One of the characters says at one point that it's kind of dreamlike. And you really do get these kind of brilliant mixes of elements similar to in a dream. There are things that you see that are like gorgeous, effective visuals with these beautiful splashes of color. And you also get things that are a little spooky. Yeah, that are a little nightmarish (laughs) that you're thinking to yourself like, man, this is really something. And it's very creative. It's it's really well crafted in that way. Um, And I don't think we should talk too much about what you see. Yeah, definitely not. I don't want people to get too far into it, but I do want to talk about tone in this movie because I think Alex Garland does such a brilliant job of setting it. And I think really where to kind of understand where he's coming from before you watch this is in Ex Machina. Both of these movies feel very similar. Their, Their characters are written and their dialogue is written in a way that's very kind of like cold in a way like removed i don't i don't want to say like mundane or boring because i don't i don't think it is but it's very like i don't don't know adult what's the word i'm looking for here um i don't uh, efficient there you go sure yeah it's not i don't want to say it's not emotional but it's just yeah it's very efficient there you go that's a fine way to describe it and alex garland's characters in this movie are very much that way like and and this the way the story is kind of told things kind of jump around a little bit like and and it leaves you kind of questioning what you understand as an audience member and it's clever that way because is your is Natalie Portman's character is Jennifer Jason Lee's characters is these characters are kind of learning things and figuring out what's happening in this setting that they don't quite understand you're doing the same and it helps you kind of connect with the characters in that way yeah, and well, I was going to kind of go on uh, with the characters as well. So you have these five women, and they're they're all very complex. Uh, one of the themes of the film, uh, just broadly, is this idea of self-destruction and that people kind of have self-destructive tendencies. And so the five uh, women that go in there all kind of ex- exhibit different symptoms of that in different ways, and they all have very kind of intriguing backstories and motivations because it's essentially a suicide mission because no one's come back. Gosh, and, you're right. And, I, and they're I remember signing when they up for about it. That, I, I didn't pick up on it. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, exactly. Like, none. Of, they know what they're signing up for. Mm-hmm. Some other things I wanted to mention, uh, it's, it's great score. Um, the music is a big part of this. Like my, for some reason, my screen was really dim. Um, I think I told I told you about that before. But my sound was was really strong and really loud. And the, the score is just it's awesome. It's very psychedelic. It really pulls you in, especially towards the end. And it complements the visuals. Yeah, it does this really clever. It's it's not really a, it's not really a blend, but it's it's kind of an alternation 
of sometimes you get this just really candid, like kind of acoustic guitar sound, which reminded me a lot of the video game, The Last of Us. I don't know if you ever played that, um, but it reminded me a lot of the, the soundtrack to that. And then offset that with this like electronic synth style sound, yeah. which is just really fantastic. And it gives you this sense, like a lot of things in the movie, of, of being kind of creeped out. And that's what I enjoyed about it, because I think being creep, like when you, when you feel like you're, you, something is creepy, your brain can't decide, it's your brain trying to decide whether you should run or fight, fight or flight. And like the characters in this movie have to deal with that on occasion, like something mysterious happens and they just kind of have to decide, okay, do we go further into the belly of the beast or should we try to get out of here? And like there's a lot of elements in this movie that are that way that you look at in, 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 your, in your seat and wonder like, what the hell am I looking at here? Like, is that, what is this? You know, how, yeah. do, how does this, how does this function? And like, it's very effective and the music really complements that in a, in a really fantastic way. Yeah. That adds to uh, the mystery of it all. Um, Cause even though I've seen it, I still am not real sure about a number of things that, that happen and I've been still kind of digesting it. And, you know, I've been reading analysis and different theories. And that's another thing that I think is great about uh, this kind of science fiction is that there's ambiguity and which generates just lots of discussion, uh, which has been really interesting because I definitely need to see it again to try and fully understand it. Right. I also want to talk about some of the visual effects, again, tiptoeing around any kind of spoilers because I want to be candid about this, but also, you know, save you the trouble. But if you've seen the trailer... Just looking at the shimmer from the outside, you can start to get an idea of what you can expect. You get this kind of like weird rainbow color effect. And when they're in the shimmer, this is reflected in the lighting and in a lot of like kind of color tones you see. And it's weird because outside of the shimmer, the world is kind of dull. Yeah. I heard somebody describe uh, the interior setting of Natalie Portman's character's house as like this muddled color. And I'm thinking back, I'm like, you're kind of right. Like, the rest of the movie outside of the Shimmer is kind of boring. It's flat. Not a whole lot's happening. But, like, inside, when things are mysterious and different, like, that's where we get these, like, kind of beautiful splashes of, 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 of color. So, yeah, what, what, did, you, did you get any of that? No, no, I definitely picked up on that. And, like I said, the film was kind of overly, overtly dim, for me, but yeah, definitely when they're in, in the shimmer, everything's brighter. The whites are whiter. The colors pop more. You you see kind of the full characters' faces, which are kind of obstructed a lot during the film. Right. I. It's funny because you, you had mentioned, yeah, after, after screening uh, that you thought your, your screen was dim. I don't know, man. Like, I, I guess I... Maybe you're right. It's it's like when I saw La La Land and I was like, I think my, I think my projector lens was out of focus. And you were like... I, maybe I saw it. I, th I thought it was fine, but yeah. maybe your screen like, cause, cause a lot of the, uh, th there's a handful of nighttime scenes cause the, the characters are in the shimmer for a little while. I can't, I can't, I'll be honest. It's longer than like an hour. Like it's kind of the plot of the whole movie. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's, there's shots at night and like, there's definitely times when like shadows really do blend together and it's hard to kind of see if there's anything lurking in the darkness, whether that be in the background or the foreground. Yeah, often characters' faces are, like, really obscured. Yeah. It reminded me of uh, The Babadook. Yeah. Because that had, that was really effective at, at kind of blending blacks together on screen. Um, so, yeah, your, your, your screening might have been dim, but at the same time, like, I, I, I couldn't tell either way whether it was dim or whether that was the way the movie was supposed to be made. Right. Uh. Kind of last thing I want to say. So I mentioned that um, it reminded me a little bit of Alien. So Oscar Isaac's character is called Kane, and Kane is also the name of the crew member on the Alien in Alien that has the uh, chest bursting scene, played by John Hurt. So I don't know. Uh, if, you're right. Yes. I don't know if there's a connection there or not, but uh, I choose to believe there is one. Sure. Well, in, in both cases, I, anytime you hear Kane, of course, or you think of the biblical Cain and Abel, in which I would argue. Both of these films probably have some kind of semblance to that. You have to see it and see for yourself. But, um, oh, one more thing I wanted to say. Uh, this movie is split into kind of chapters. Really, it just has something that pops up that says the setting, uh, where the characters are, where they're going. Oh, that's um, right. And it was adapted from a novel. 
and the novel is one of a series, and, and, and Alex Garland started adapting this one before the second one had been put to print. So he, star- he made this movie thinking this was a kind of a one-off thing. Yeah. He didn't, this isn't set up for any kind of sequel, as far as I know. Um, maybe, maybe it is, uh, but I, I don't think he intends to make a follow-up to this. Right. But I wanted to ask, how did you feel about the way they kind of split the movie into chapters? Did, did you feel like that was okay? Well, did it get in the way of your, I mean, what did you think? What were the, I, I honestly don't remember. What were the chapters split up in, Right, 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 into? right. Um, the, the the first one is it's really by setting. So like uh, when she goes to when Natalie Portman's character kind of arrives at the government facility with her husband, uh, Oscar Isaac's character Kane, you get a black screen with just gray font that says um, Area X, I think is what it's called. Oh right. And then when they go into the Shimmer, you get a black screen with the font that just says Shimmer or the Shimmer. Oh. Okay. And and that happens a couple more times throughout the movie. Um, I, felt I that, suppose it, yeah, I suppose it didn't have much of an effect on you. I, I was going to say <laughs> I enjoyed it because it gave me time to breathe and collect my thoughts. That's good it for gives orientation. You like five seconds, where, yeah, where there's nothing happening, and it's like okay, now, like yeah, I, I I can take what I've learned and kind of set that aside and and be ready to take in new information. I think it's effective because this movie presents you with a lot of new ideas and concepts, and you got to be ready for them. Yeah. It's 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 definitely a very cerebral film, to borrow a, a term right out of any film snobs book. Like it's a very <laughs> cerebral film, um, but it is, and I I, I think it, I think it's worth your time. So I guess Andy, official recommendations. Would you recommend Annihilation? Yeah, absolutely. Strongly. I think. Yeah, I I think I would as well. With the kind of caveat, kind of like Logan Lucky, not for everybody. It's. <laughs> You got to be invested. Whereas I, I would argue Blade Runner twenty forty nine is for everybody ever, but uh, this one, like, you gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta have a passion for for sci fi. Not like a two thousand one Space Odyssey passion. Um, it's pretty accessible, but you got to be ready for what you're getting into. It's not. It's it's probably not like a date night movie. I I I went home from this movie and and was like sitting at home playing xbox and i was like man i feel like a different person like after, <laughs> after watching annihilation like yeah, that movie changed me man I, I was i was i was somebody before i went into it and i was somebody else when i came out you and went, you went you, in a boy you came out a man it's true like i i don't i didn't know if you felt the same way but it is it is very cool um any yeah, any closing thoughts um, well, just what you were saying about the chapters, I, th- I feel like that's good for orientation because the story is told anachronistically. You know, it jumps around the timeline a lot. So that definitely helps kind of uh, just orient you where you are in the story. Right. Well, I think that about wraps our Annihilation conversation. Instead of the death of cinema this week, we'll be talking about something a little bit more timely. This will be, what, what do you want to call this segment? Uh, Oscar talk? I don't know. (laughs) Perfect. Oscar talk. So yeah, we're going to be talking Oscars, of course, because the 2018 Oscars are... This Sunday. Coming up this week, right? This Sunday. Which means we'll be talking about them Monday, the day after they happen, so that'll be timely. Right, exactly. Um, do you have uh, how do you watch these things because you always do it pretty big right you yeah so i have seen every oscars i think last year was the first time i missed since like 2000 so i've seen all like the last 17 or 16 shows what are the odds like the one year you don't watch we get like the biggest flub in oscars history where they like mix up the envelopes exactly i was getting all these text messages from people watching (laughs) be like hey man did you see this thing and i was like what's happening you know do you go somewhere you like a watch party what do you um yeah, well, usually I'd, I, I find I leech off someone who has still has regular cable and right. kind, of, kind of watch there. I mean, I'm very particular. Like, I, I want to like I want to hear all the speeches. I want to see all 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 the tributes. Want to hear all the music. Like, I don't necessarily want to go to a watch party because most watch parties people aren't actually watching. You know, you're just kind of hanging out and being social. I, um, I love how offset that is from your just like absolute hatred of the Golden Globes. <laughs> No, no, I'm, I'm going to sit down for four hours and like not get yeah. up and what? Yeah, watch the whole thing. And I, I mean, I love the pomp and circumstance. I, you know, you get to see uh, all your favorite actors and 
good speeches and the, the you know the people that passed away the previous year is always very touching uh they perform a number of the original songs um yeah it's it's a good show and i, I always enjoy it it is the super bowl of film for whatever that year yes yeah. so let's get into the categories i think what we'll be doing is our personal picks for these categories. Not who we think is going to win, just who we... Well, I, I take it back. Not not who we're predicting will win based on the Academy's recommendations. Who we would like to win if we had our say, right? Yeah, right, out of, exactly. Out of the nominees. Because the, the, the awards are extremely political and there's lots of agendas behind the scenes and moods and who knows. So it's, it's pointless trying to guess what other people are going to pick. Right. Um, so yeah, I'd rather just pick, you know, from the categories, what were my favorites? And there are like 26 categories or something, so we won't be rolling through all of them. Uh, but let's hit some of the high notes, I think. We haven't talked about how we're going to split these up. How, how do you want to do this? Just go one for one, or I, uh, where, where do you want to start? <laughs> I'll start with actor in a leading role. We'll just go from the top. All right, let's uh, do that, yeah. Okay, so we have uh, Timothy Chalamet from Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread, Daniel Kaluuya for uh, Get Out, uh, Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour and Denzel Washington for Roman J. Esquire. All right. Now, uh, you've seen three of these films. Yes. What do you think? Um, well, I think Gary Oldman's prob- probably going to win it. I mean, some of the cl- clips I've seen are incredible. Of the ones I've seen, I would probably go with uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kal- Is it Kaluuya? I thought it was Kalu- Kaluuya. Kaluuya, yeah. sorry. Uh, he was really fantastic, and I, I, I guess you would say Get Out is a breakout role, right? I mean, it was his first movie that I had seen him in, I think. He's in Sicario. Is he really? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I got to finish watching Sicario. For anybody who listens to this show and doesn't know, I watched like half of Sicario one time and fell asleep, and, I, and I, I've been scorned ever since. So I need to go back and finish that, especially since the second one's coming out. And it's directed by the guy who made Blood Run in 2049, Denny Villeneuve. Yeah. Uh, Denny Villeneuve. Good Lord. Um, I think Gary Oldman will probably scoop it up. I, I'm glad on the one hand because I, I, I love Gary Oldman and I think it's, he deserves it. On the other hand, like, I don't know, man, I saw Darkest Hour and like, I wasn't too impressed, but I, I seem <laughs> to be, I know. And I seem to find like, the more I do this show, the more I address like performances. I think maybe I'm just hypercritical of performances because there's been a handful of people on here that I was like, I thought it was stupid. I didn't like him. Like, I, it was pretty good. Who am I kidding? Like, it was solid performance. He is the lead and he holds it up brilliantly. So I think he'll scoop this up. Um, then again, I do wonder because they say politics are a thing. Daniel Day Lewis might get a little love because it's supposed to be his last movie. So, yeah. It, I mean, Phantom Thread is Daniel Day Lewis being himself. So I don't, I, Personally, wasn't too impressed, and I'm sure some thespian can tell me why I'm wrong in so many sure. ways. <laughs> Moving let's on. Take, let's take actress in the leading role. Is that a good next place to go? Sure, yeah. Sally Hawkins, The Shape of Water. Frances McDormand, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. Saoirse. Saoirse. God. Ah, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird and Meryl Streep for The Post. I think I know who you're going to say. Who's your favorite here? Um, my personal favorite is Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, which unfortunately I feel like that movie has not gotten any Oscar buzz and it's largely, I think, been overlooked. So I don't think she'll win, but the, uh, she's my personal favorite of, of that group. I'm going to have to scroll through while we're talking about this because I, I didn't think it was overlooked, but maybe you're right. I haven't really, I haven't, I was so blinded by the lack of Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> that I haven't like stopped to see how much I, Tanya's around. I think Sally Hawkins will take it. I hope she will, even though she plays a character with hardly any dialogue. Um, I thought her performance in Shape of Water uh, was really incredible. The the way she kind of conveyed emotion in a way that... I'm not going to say she's largely unknown. She was in Paddington, which is huge in the UK, but like... Yeah, I'd never heard of her before this. Yeah, it was somebody I'd never heard of that I was just phenomenally impressed by, similar to Daniel Kaluuya um, and Timothy Chalamet. Uh, I also loved Frances McDormand and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Like yeah. I, the more I see Frances McDormand, the more I'm thinking, man, she's awesome. Like I, I didn't think much of her before. I knew she was in Fargo, but after the, after Three Billboards, she's really fantastic. And I didn't see I Tanya, but from what I've heard, that is the favorite for this year. What do you want to take next? Um, let's take that. Well, best animated fe- feature is going to be Coco. Like that's. <laughs> That's just good. <laughs> don't read them. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, now, cinematography. Uh, I'm a little torn. So, Roger Deakins for Blade Runner 2049. He should absolutely win. 
He's been nominated, I think, 14, 15 other times. Mm. Um, however, if something like Dunkirk kind of begins to get a, get some of the other awards, I could see that happening as well. Right. I loved the cinematography in The Shape of Water. The other two nominees are Mudbound and Darkest Hour. Um, I thought the way they kind of played with light and color and kind of how to make everything look wet was really incredible. I thought Mudbound was incredibly effective well. And Darkest Hour really did. I mean, that there's there's some stuff in there that, that is fascinating. There's some ways they kind of just play and experiment with the way they, they kind of set up a shot that's really great. All of these are fantastic nominees. They're all really good. And I'm not sure who's going to win my favorite Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. But we'll, yep. we'll see. <laughs> Time will tell, I guess. I'll take directing next. The nominees are Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread, and Guillermo del Toro, The Shape of Water. My personal favorite in this. Of the ones I've seen, of course, which are Get Out and The Shape of Water, is Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. It is, it is so far, of the nominees, again, um, kind of my favorite this year, man. I, I, that movie charmed me. It really did. Um, <laughs> what do you think, Andy? Yeah, no, it, it has the most nominations. It has like 12 or 13 nominations, has a ton. I think it's definitely a favorite in a lot of categories. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's hard to say. Uh, the only other one for me, I think, uh, Dunkirk, uh, for Christopher Nolan. It, I mean, it's a great film also such a huge scope and scale. I've said this before, boats, planes, thousands of extras like it's it's just a massive undertaking i know um so i, I have it it's funny i have it on blu-ray and i still haven't watched it for exactly that reason i'm just like i gotta get to, i gotta get ready i'm not i'm not in the right mindset to watch dunkirk it's such a tremendous film it but, was supposed yeah. to come back to to theaters it might if it wins but yeah and then this is one of those those things it we i don't know how the oscars are gonna go they could go everything could go towards shape of water or it could go towards dunkirk like you, you just don't know uh, I did want to mention The Shape of Water for directing, something I had noticed when watching the movie. Hollywood loves self-reflexive cinema. Yep. And consider for a moment that the main character in The Shape of Water lives above a old-school theater that runs screenings of Samson Delilah. Just saying. Like, there, I, there might be a little bit of, yeah, you, <laughs> you know some snobby Oscar uh, board of whatever who's voting is just like, ooh, well, they're they're comment, commentating on, on past cinema. There's something there. Like, I, I, I promise that's stuck in somebody's mind. Um, but I guess we'll have to see. Uh, well, what's next? Um, well, okay, so there, <laughs> there's, I'll try to decide. Uh, I'll just jump to best picture. Since, Ooh, there, all right. since there are nine, nine films, uh, I'll try go, go through these uh, quickly. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Now, it's, it's important to remember, generally, the five that are nominated for Best Director are really the, the ones that are in contention for Best Picture. So... It's like there's five real films in contention, and the the rest are just kind of um, you know honorary mentions. Um, so it yeah, it's it's a stacked field. I, I think I think the favorite it's favoring towards Shape of Water, but I would also like to see um, you know Dunkirk win or Chris Nolan get his best directing and best picture awards. Right, Chris Nolan. I the man deserves his time in the sun. It's true. Like I, the, he has done some incredible work. And I agree. It's one. It, you're right. It's stacked. It's one of. The, it's one of these years where like it could go a couple ways, and either way, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy. Um, the ones that really would surprise me um, are the Post and Get Out. I'd be surprised if either of those won. And in a way, Darkest Hour. And it's not because they're bad films. It's just because I feel like yeah, you're, you're going against some real heavy hitters here, like Christopher Nolan's. World War II epic and this incredible kind of story told by Guillermo del Toro. Um, one I would love to see kind of sneak in. I don't know if it would. Three of Billboards. It was such a great story. Like, it really was. It was, it was a fun movie that had so much to say about this kind of range of human emotion that I feel like isn't often covered in film. Um, that's what I've seen. Anyway, I'm, there's, there's ones in there that I haven't. One of the other ones I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if you had any put input in here, is... I think it's sound editing. I always get confused between sound editing and sound mixing, but I wanted to see if you had anything here. The nominees for sound editing, and I know it's it's often overlooked, but hear me out. Blade Runner 2049, Dunkirk, The Shape of Water, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and 
Baby Driver. That's right. <laughs> which is interesting. That's why I wanted to talk about this. Do you think Baby Driver has any shot, besides being nominated, of course, at, at scooping this up? I would say pro- uh, probably not, um, because these are all such heavy hitters. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's an incre- incredible piece of editing. It's almost like an action musical, uh, that movie. So, yeah, it's in- it's cool that it got nominated. I do think, yeah, the the three in here, again, that stand a real chance are Blade Runner, Dunkirk, and The Shape of Water. I think Star Wars The Last Jedi, like, I don't... That's one of those nominations, like, how did that get in there? Like, what, what is that doing? Like, I, I would have put, like, Get Out over, over Star Wars The Last <laughs> Jedi, but whatever. Um, yeah, obviously, I would hope Blade Runner 2049 takes it, but in a way, man, I, again, little Edgar Wright love. I, I love Baby Driver. I, right. I, I hope it gets its due. Um, any others you want to cover here? Uh, yeah, the last one I wanted to cover was writing for adapted screenplaying, and so that's for works that are adapted from a pre-existing novel or book or comic. Right. Um, and these are uh, Call Me By Your Name, uh, The Disaster Artist, which we reviewed on the show, Logan, uh, which was the, the Wolverine movie, and Molly's Game, and finally Mudbound. Um, and w- the thing that stands out to me is Logan, because that's based on... a. Uh, it's a comic book movie, but it's a very mature one. It's like the Dark Knight of the Marvel series. Like it, it you have, and it's based on on a comic arc called um, Old Man Logan, where you have an old Wolverine, a kind of slowly dying Wolverine, um, and yeah, it, it's a deep character study, and it, it's just miles above any of the other stuff that Marvel has done, and it's and it's not necessarily related to the MCU. Um, but it's just really cool to see a com- essentially a comic book property nominated for an Oscar. Right. This is one of those kind of it's an honor just to be nominated scenarios, but it really is. Like, it's not every day we see a comic book movie get nominated for an Oscar. The Dark Knight, of course, um, made it look easy, but it's not. And Marvel being able to, able to even capture a little bit of that lightning in their own bottle is incredible. And the fact that they're getting nominated for a screenplay based off a comic book, is really incredible. And it says something about this medium for all the haters, for all the (laughs) naysayers, yeah, who say comic book movies are dumb. Like, they don't have to be. They really don't. Like, there there really is something to this. Um, There's a reason it's so popular. And even if it's sometimes just kind of turned into a Michael Bay-esque CGI-fest blockbuster, like, there really can be something intimate and special about these stories that are told. I, th- I think that's kind of the magic of, of bringing, of comic books, really, and bringing these stories from the page to the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a big risk as well, because Logan is, is rated R for violence. So that means you can't, you're not going to market it to kids, which means no toy line, no Happy Meals, no all the merchandising isn't there. So the movie has to really sell it and 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 it did it made loads of money and yeah pe- people really loved it right they they gambled and they won they they got they really got something out of it it's one that has uh as, as i sit here and, and comment on how great it is i haven't watched uh it's in my <laughs> hbo watch list to check out it's on hbo go uh i i'm gonna check it out at least i need to you should check it out too if you're listening to the show and you haven't seen it logan it is probably on a, worth your time yeah it, it is on amazon prime oh is it really yeah, I think so. Ooh. Um, right. Also, watch it there, then. funny thing. So you can also get, um, there's a, a version of it that's in black and white called Logan Noir. <laughs> it was part of this whole thing. I mean, they did the same thing with uh, uh, Max. Max. Yeah, the black, and, black and chrome edition where you can watch it in black and white, which I totally did because I'm a sucker for it. I'm still sore about that. Um, I, I told you that story, right? No. What oh, it? yeah. They announced after Mad Max Fury Road came out, I went and saw it. And, and Mad Max Fury Road was weird for me because the first time I saw it, I didn't like it that much. I was like, what? what's with the hype? That wasn't that cool. That was kind of <laughs> stupid. And for some reason, I told a buddy of mine it was stupid. He's like, well, let's go see it. So we went and saw it. And like, I don't know, maybe it took two turns to, for me to get it. But like the second time I walked out of the movie, it was like, that was awesome. Like, did you <laughs> see that? I don't know what I was talking about for. That movie was so cool. Like, it, take, it, it, you know, it took a minute. But... Um, they announced that they that George Miller had made a black and white edition of it, and I was like, that's awesome. And they were like, we think we're going to put it on the Blu-ray. I was like, going to buy it. So I bought the Blu-ray day one, didn't have it. 
no. And then, like, what? Six months later or something, they announced, like, the Mad Max Fury Road Black and Chrome Edition. And I was like, I hate the whole world. Like, because now <laughs> I have to pay $14 to rent it online and yeah. watch it. which Or I could just desaturate my TV and watch it that way. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. But hey, I'm sure it is very cool. And I'll bet Logan Noir is awesome as well. Yeah. Also Moving surprised... On. I was oh, not sorry. really surprised. Well, nope. One more thing. I was going to say, seeing Aaron Sorkin's name in there for adaptive screenplay, love me some Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. He's, he's good stuff. Anyway, moving on to our last movie, our last feature of this episode 11. I got that right this time? That's right. Yes. Episode 11, Moonlight. Who is you, Sharon? Just going to make a mark there so I know where to put the music. Yes, Moonlight. A young African-American gay man deals with his dysfunctional home life and comes comes of age in Miami, Florida during the war on drugs era. The story of his struggle to find himself is told across three defining chapters in his life as he experiences the ecstasy, pain, and beauty of falling in love while grappling with his own sexuality. Shout out to Jay Welch, 5742 on IMDb for writing that for me. <laughs> I was going to try to do it in my own words. I got to a point where I was like, I'm in too deep. I just got to I got to swim out of this. Yes, Moonlight is everything I just said and more. It's the story of a young black man named Chiron. Uh, Chiron. Chiron. I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, growing up in Miami during the war on drugs era, uh, he and his single mother struggling to kind of make ends meet and him kind of struggling to learn who he is in this crazy world he lives in. Moonlight was nominated for and won after a little bit of a mishap on stage with one Warren Beatty. Best picture in 2017. Andy, you saw this movie way before I did. I watched it for the first time this week. Right. So you've had some time to sit on it and then rewatch it again. You go ahead. What, what did you think of Moonlight? <laughs> okay, so uh, there's a lot to unpack here. And it, this was one of those movies that, that, like you said, it's always best the, the less you see of it. I didn't see a trailer for this at all. I just heard a lot about it, heard a lot of buzz, and then just went out and saw it. Um, so I, I got, had a really kind of unfiltered um, viewing experience. Um, but it's it's really incredible. It's really about this idea of identity. And with Chiron, it's specifically, yes, he, he's gay and he has to deal with that. But that's only a small part of it. You know, the whole movie, it's him trying to figure out who he is, not not just his sexuality. Because, you know, all throughout the film, people say, who is you, Chiron? Who is you? Like, what? Are, who are you? What are you trying to be? And it's a lot, it has to do a lot with how our environment shapes who we are because he's you know he lives in in this ghetto his mom's a, a crack addict um he's bullied because all the other kids know he's gay he doesn't really realize that he's gay initially and it's he's really confused and he doesn't like he doesn't have a father figure to kind of help him through this moment and um you know he chooses the person he grows up to be is very different from the person he starts at and that's again this whole idea of identity and at one point he says says you know i rebuilt myself from from the ground up um and th there's a lot of other issues as well there's this whole the background of social issues of poverty and crime and violence and child abuse and homophobia and all these things are in the background but but it's never kind of like pushed in your face it's just the environment the setting um so it's a really incredible film because it it you know, it asks the audience, like, who are you? Who are who are you going to be? And at one point, uh, one of his, uh, he kind of gets this father figure um, in uh, Juan, who's the, the local drug dealer, who says, says you know, uh, you, one day you got to decide who you're going to be, and no one can tell you who that is. You got to choose for yourself. I think... I, I, I love to tear down movies that make big claims and miss the mark. I do. It's, it's like one of my favorite things to do is any kind of film <laughs> snob. And Moonlight steps out in, into some very big territory because it's this it's kind of the second big movie by this guy, Barry Jenkins. And the tagline for Moonlight is, this is the story of a lifetime, which is a big claim, like a big claim for a small movie, uh, a small indie flick. Um, and it, it's, it's a very apt analysis. And I think this is exactly what this movie claims to be. It is the story of a young man trying to figure out who he is in a world that he doesn't quite understand or connect to in a way that's engaging because we, the audience members, connect 
to him in not understanding the world he lives in. And there's a couple ways they do this. There's a couple ways this is this is effective storytelling. First, you don't understand a whole lot about the world, all right? They don't tell you, like, the movie doesn't open with, like, a year in a setting. Like, um... It's, I, it's, it's, honestly, it's, the first it's it's nine. It's the nineties. Uh, one has a pager. That's only re, that's really the no. Only yeah, thing. and he and he's he's wearing a very like hokey. I think it's I, I want to say it was eighties, but you're probably right. It's nineties. He's wearing like a hokey shirt, and he's driving around like a cat. Like you, you just very quickly figure out. Oh, okay, I'm I kind of get where I'm at, but it's never like we're in Miami. Like nobody's ever like I've lived in Miami twenty years. The movie requires you to kind of investigate and figure it out. Yeah. And it never stops. There's that. a there's a beach. Yeah, like you 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 have to kind of figure out where are we and what's happening. And so when you see this little boy who is uh, Chiron, who's later deemed little in what is the first of three kind of chapters in which the story is told, um, you have to figure out who he is, and you can connect with him because you don't understand the world he's in, and neither does he. And he doesn't understand why things are happening around him. And then when the movie kind of moves to its second act, which is uh, act two, Chiron, and he's older now, he's a teenager, you kind of know a little bit more, but you still haven't quite figured it out yet. And this even carries through to the third act when suddenly Chiron, who goes by Black, which is a nickname somebody has given him, is a very different person than what you saw before. And it's foreign because now you kind of get the world, but you don't understand who he is. And now you have to play catch up. And it's really effective storytelling because the character kind of goes on one journey and you are with them for a while. And suddenly you're displaced and you have to find your way back, which is exactly what Chiron does in this movie. And it's really effective. Um, Really incredible writing that holds this movie together. Yeah, and it, it it's really beautiful and really powerful. And I wanted to talk about there's this theme of water throughout the the film. Um, and I I had read this or heard heard about it in a review before I saw it, so I really paid attention. Uh, but there's this water motif that represents uh, just a lot of things. Represents healing and change and transformation and destruction. Like the film starts on a black screen and you just hear ocean sounds. Um, you know, when Juan teaches him to swim and, in, in when he's young, you know, they, they're in the beach and that's almost like a baptism like that. That's what that scene reminds me of. It's oh, totally. the, the yeah. way he, he's holding them. And I think the, in actually in each act, there's a separate kind of baptism, uh, scene in, in the second act, he, he gets in a big fight and, you know, he puts his face in a big like thing of wa- ice water and comes up, you know, that's just, Again, that that water motif moving through the whole thing, and the way the characters speak. Um, when he when he, he has a conversation on the beach uh, with his friend Kevin, and they talk about like being emotional and crying, and how you you know I could just flow right out into the ocean, you know. So the, it's it's a really kind of powerful thing, and the color blue is also prominently in the film. And whenever important things happen, he's wearing a blue shirt, or like um, a character is wearing a blue shirt. So that's a very intentional kind of symbolism throughout the film. And I, I, I didn't catch it on as much the first time I saw it, but the second time it's it's like throughout everything. Right. I wanted to talk about the way this movie is shot because it's it's a, it's very effective, again, for being like this, this kind of indie flick. Um, the movie is primarily, I want to say, shot handheld, which means it's, it's, it's kind of janky, kind of moving. And it's a little bit of tripod, but for the most part, like it's 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 shot by hand, and, and there's a very intimate feeling to that. And this is kind of compressed by a sh- uh, kind of a to get really technical in film here for a second, R- relatively technical, a lens choice that makes everything seem really close to to the screen. So characters like even little being this little boy, like dominates the frame. Like, he, he is what you see, and characters kind of interact that way. And it's really engaging because you, you end up with kind of this just really, really intimate connection with somebody who, in normal life, you probably would not be able to relate to. Chiron is not, Chiron is not a very, he's not very talkative. He's very quiet in the movie, but somehow, like, we as the audience feel like we get him in a way that nobody else does. We kind of get a peek inside of how he works. And 
Miami is kind of shot, this backdrop of, of this beach kind of ocean setting is shot in a way that's almost suffocating, which leads more towards the third act when, when Chiron kind of gets away from Miami and, and kind of leaves to become his own person. You, you really do get this sense of like understanding in a weird way. I, I realize I'm kind of being cryptic about it. I don't mean to be, um, but I, I think... It's just, it's, it's very well crafted. It's, it's a story that it kind of picks you up and takes you along for the ride. I, one of my favorite critiques of it was, was Christine said very candidly, this movie reminded me of Manchester by the Sea. Um, and, and the reason that is, is because it's almost like a fly on the wall picture. This feels like somebody's life and it feels like we got to watch it somehow, like in, in, in this weird way. It, it feels very realistic. It feels very down to earth it feels very plausible um and it's really a treat to watch yeah um the last thing i I wanted to to talk about is this the score um so barry jenkins had said in an interview that you know we've taken the ghetto to the art house a lot of times that movies like boys in the hood and uh whenever we do the score is generally hip-hop and rap music um, you know, which is completely appropriate. There's nothing wrong with that. But he said, you know, instead of taking the ghetto to the art house, I want to take the art house to the ghetto. And so that's that played into how he shot the movie, but also with the sound. So um, there isn't, you know, any kind of pop music. It's all classical music. It's opera. It's strings and violin. And so you have this very huge juxtaposition of of kind of poverty of communities in poverty and then, but high class, high art music. And it's really effective and it was a really smart choice, I think. Yeah. One of the things, there were were two real things I noticed about the music. First, the choice of a song towards the end of the movie by, I want to say Aretha Franklin, Hello Stranger, which was a really, really clever oldies tune. Something you wouldn't hear that you wouldn't expect a black guy in Miami to be listening to. And to follow that, something else that really stood out to me there was a distorted version a slowed down version of i want to say an erica badu song uh that slowed to a way that yeah her voice sounds weird but it's almost it, it almost comes off like a waltz it's really effective yeah like it gives you this really kind of like different feeling for a song that this character would be listening to but it's they're experiencing it in a different way and 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 we are too really effective yeah very very well made. I, I can I can understand why this movie was nominated for Best Picture. I can certainly understand why it won as well. So, Andy, would you recommend Moonlight? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and part of w- what I wanted to say is, um, well, also that um, Mahershala Ali won for Best Supporting Actor as uh, he plays Juan, which is the drug dealer who kind of t- uh, takes in Chiron, um, kind of looks after him in, in the first act. Um, but also, you know, the, uh, last year, La La Land was the big favorite. Everyone, it was had buzz upon buzz upon oh, buzz yeah. for the longest time. Um, and it, and it, it is a good movie. La La Land is one of the best films of 2017, but Moonlight is one of the best films of the decade. It's just in a league of its own. It's true. It is, it is a truly captivating story. It is absolutely worth every second of your time. I could not recommend it enough. It is free on Amazon Prime if you've got it. Um, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere else, but uh, yeah, check it out. Moonlight is is absolutely worth it. I'm anxious to see what Mr. Jenkins comes up with next. So, with that being said, I think it just about wraps our show this week. That's right. What are we What are, What are we watching next week? Um, well, I'm going to spend four and a half hours uh, watching the Oscars next Sunday. Um, as well as Early Man, the, uh, is it the Ardman animation? Yes, Ardman, yeah, the guys who made Wallace and Gromit, Flushed Away, Shaun the Sheep, Chicken Run, uh, I don't know, yeah. And we'll be finishing up also with, uh, It Comes at Night, on, which is on Amazon Prime. Also Amazon Prime, yeah, lots of Amazon Prime movies on It's good stuff, so It Comes at Night is a horror movie that came out, um, last spring, or no, it it was a summer, that's right, um, it's a good, good piece of horror. I, re- I really liked it. You haven't seen it, right? I have not seen it, yes. Summer right. horror. And as I was talking to Andy about before the show, um, big horror fan. So, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see what It Comes at Night can bring to the table. 
Um, if you have a way that I can watch the Oscars without having to sign up for some kind of basic cable package, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com <laughs> and let me know because I want to watch them. I just don't like, I remember last year I downloaded, I downloaded the ABC app and everything. They were like, you can stream it on the ABC app. No, it didn't work. It was a sham. So I, I <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm probably just going to end up on Twitter clicking through live stream links like I like I did the Floyd Mayweather fight in a desperate attempt to try to see some of the Oscars. But odds are I'm probably going to miss it because I can't find out a way to watch them in a reasonable fashion, which is which is crazy to me. But um, hopefully yeah. I can catch some of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't have cable either. I'm going to uh, there's a friend who lives in my apartment that I'm just going to commandeer their tv for sunday evening <laughs> i'm thinking about maybe i can find like a i hate to say like a bar in the area but like maybe i can find I mean, that's gotta be somewhere you can go watch the oscars you know sure. what I mean? someone will be having a watch party somebody somewhere will be having a watch party if you want to let us know what you thought of the show if you want to suggest a movie to watch if you think our opinions are terrible and want to tell us how wrong we are email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com also check out our website offscriptfilmreview.com rate and review on itunes the show would not be what it is without you we we appreciate everything you do for us thanks for listening and please let us know uh what you think of the show i guess tell your friends share it do all do all that goodness andy am i missing anything here no commandeer their iphones like i do (laughs) (laughs) yeah just take their smartphones and do it yourself yeah congrats let me see your phone for about five seconds yeah worry about what it's for that being said, also check out our Facebook page, right? Off-script That's film right. review. Yeah, we have a Facebook page due courtesy of one Dr. Draper who set that up. Very kind of you. I got to start figuring out what I can post to it and making something happen over there. And um, yeah, I think that's it for episode 11. Uh, from Offscript, the home of Bolt Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>